0: What would you do if you went camping and a horrifying unknown creature decided to make you its prey and your guns just didn't work? Well, we can find out what two hunters did when this happened in the Ozarks of Missouri. Welcome to Camping Horrors, the podcast where real people share their most terrifying camping and hiking stories, and I narrate them. Tonight's stories feature witches, werewolves, and more. Feels a lot like Halloween, doesn't it? Enjoy, and remember to send me your scariest hiking and camping stories at darkstories.org so I can narrate them in a future episode. Be sure to rate Camping Horrors on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you enjoy the show, and check out more of my narrations at eeriecast.com. Now, throw a log on the fire, because the night is still young. The following story contains photographic evidence. Please see the links in the description to see all eight photos for yourself. Camping at Mount Rainier From Mr. Anonymous I recently went on a camping trip with my family to Mount Rainier. It was my father, his dog, who's deaf and 14 years old, my brother, sister-in-law, niece, and my brother's wife's sister, We have this one camping spot, where weird things happen to us every time we stay there. The last time was the most unsettling. In the past, we've seen lights in the sky that couldn't be traditional aircraft nor satellites, just blue dots moving in an irregular pattern, and we woke up in the morning nauseous, not remembering what else happened. This time, however, was very different. One of the nearby trees has in-loving memory carved into it, For a couple that died in 2000 that we didn't notice prior to setting up. The first night we were there, I was up around 12 to 1230 AM, when I heard a man singing. The singing was getting closer and closer to our campsite, so I grabbed my knife and held it close to my chest. The singing abruptly stopped, and I heard a male and female having a conversation but it was too muddled to make out any words. I heard one of them walk in between my tent that I was sleeping alone in and the tree that was about three feet away from me. The other walked opposite so they could circle my camp. The strangest part was that there was never a flashlight, and it was quite dangerous to walk around in the camp without light. We had this sort of cliff on the side that went into the Nisqually River. The voices and walking randomly stopped, but they never sounded like they walked away from us. Eventually, it was so quiet for so long, I was able to sleep, though I still clutched the knife tightly. In the morning, I asked around to see if anyone else heard anything, keeping what I heard a secret as to not put thoughts into their heads. My father said he'd heard a man and woman talking that night, and my sister-in-law's sister said that someone shook her tent. I had never felt more validated, yet scared, before, as the whole interaction was about 15 minutes long. Sadly, that's not the only strange thing that happened on that trip either. A day before, when we were looking for other campsites, because we didn't want to stay in the one where weird things happen, we found an abandoned camp. It looked like the people took essentials and ran. They left a $300 tent, two queen air mattresses, blankets, pillows, diapers, etc. And on the tent, they had a notice from the park rangers saying it was there for over 14 days. I'll add the pictures. The second night there, my family and I were walking down the river for a quiet little night hike. I was ahead of them and got to a small forested section when I started to hear a growl coming from in front of me and to the side. I put my walking stick in a defensive position as I know there can be bears in the area. I also slowly walked backwards, making sure not to show my back to whatever it was. I told my family we needed to turn back to grab some bear mace from the camp just in case and stay at camp. The next morning, before we packed up to go, I still wanted to adventure over to that area. I went on my own and stumbled upon these two prints in the sand. One of them was a human-like foot that was twice the width of mine and about three inches longer. The other was a handprint that made mine look like a toddler's hand. I'm not saying it was a Bigfoot or a cryptid, but whatever it was, it had to be over six and a half feet tall. I'll also be adding pictures of those prints. It could have very well been a tall person with abnormally large hands like my dad has. They're swollen due to an illness he has. But even his weren't even close enough to being that big. Also, I don't know what a person would be doing walking along the side of the river barefoot. If you know anything about Washington, you know that there's constantly sharp rocks along the rivers and ocean with very little sand. I'm not sure what either of these situations really were. My sister who wasn't there seems to think I encountered the ghosts of the couple that passed through there and that I maybe ran into a Bigfoot. I'm skeptical at best. I think there was a couple scoping out our campsite and a very tall homeless person walking around the other area. Though I am open to suggestions Creepy Vacation From Anonymous I am 16 years old. I was born and raised in the Dominican Republic, but I now live in New York. I was on vacation back in the Dominican Republic in a town called Sabana Iglesia, which belongs to Santiago. There are more smaller towns, but Sabana Iglesia is more well known due to its population which is no more than seven or 10,000 people. I used to live southeast from there, like 10 miles away. There's a much smaller town called El Flair, which holds a population no more than 1,000, and that's three or four miles from where I used to live, where this incident occurred. It happened back when I lived in the Dominican Republic. Where I lived then, I have to say, the place is beautiful and peaceful. There we all grew up in the woods, and we knew the area well. The small amount of people that lived there made it easy to remember everybody's names and pretty much where they lived. This small place is called El Corral. It's called this because it only has one easy entrance and exit, as it is surrounded by woods, small mountains that will make you sweat if you hike there midday, and also the largest river in the Dominican Republic, Rio Yaque del Norte, which goes from west and passes to the east, making a curve where i live blocking most of the ways to get out that's why it has this name my cousins that still live there are teens around 16 i think one was there when this took place and the other came from the city of santiago to have a good time we were all spending time in the river playing water tag which is tag but in the water of course we were cliff diving too and a lot of other things now, as small as the town was, it had its own scary stories. All of them were related to witches that were said to pass by from two other towns called Yerba de Calebre and Loma de Coco. Our parents, grandparents, and most of the people there tell us a lot of encounters about the paranormal and ghost stories. We all believe this stuff due to all of these stories we've been told, and some of us at one point have seen creepy things Even I think I've seen ghosts twice. Most of the people that live in small towns or in the countryside have had experiences with a certain creature called galipotes. If you try to search for it, it's possible you won't find much information about it. But a galipote looks like a well-dressed man, like a man who has been working in an office. But he could be a few yards next to you, and if you saw him again, He would somehow suddenly be much farther away. Not terribly scary. The last sighting I'd heard about was around 2008 or 2009, but in the 90s and 80s, there were more people living there, and they were more common. As I said, we believe in witches, and stories and sightings of those were common around 1960, but started to fade out in 2008. Now, a different, bizarre encounter you might have that was more common was when you go into the woods, in the hills, you would find strings hanging from the tops of trees. People say the witches do this to mark their routes. And it does make sense, I guess. I mean, what normal hiker would put cloth strings on top of very tall trees to mark their paths? That would be way too much effort for a normal person. Not to mention... These would be found in places people don't often go for months. Now, one Sunday, September 3rd, I remember this because Hurricane Irma happened three or four days after. My friends and I were planning on going to El Flair. We were at the river, which is only three minutes from my grandparents' house, where my friend Stephen was staying. Jordan, another friend, lives right next to him, and I wasn't too far from their houses. We were going to have a good time, hiking through and playing in the woods, trying to meet up with some girls. You know, teenager stuff. We were supposed to meet at 7pm, and at the time it was 6pm. Christian, the other friend, left to his house to change and have dinner. We did the same. I lived with my great-grandparents back then. We ate, and soon Stephen went with me to get my stuff to get ready. We were going to get Jordan, When we got to his place we called out for him and he met us outside. Before going to Christian's house we actually called him on the phone but he didn't pick up so we had to walk there and go get him. Now going to Jordan's house leads to this bad road surrounded by woods to the right and hills to the left. At the time the sun was going down. It was 7.05 PM when I looked at my phone last. Eventually we got to Christian's house. We called for him so we could leave. By then, it was 717. Christian did come out and joined us, so we made the journey back, went up the road, passed another house where one of my cousins lived, and kept walking, reaching this flat area that looks down to my cousin's place, and the other side is a grassy hill. We kept walking past this flat area. We soon made it to the road that leads to El Flair and Yerba del Culebra. As we walked on and on, I soon noticed dark clouds gathering and coming our way, almost blocking the nearly full moon, which was a few days away from being completely full. I told the guys, don't tell me we came all the way out here just to have to go back. They ignored what I said, so we just kept walking. Eventually, we made it to where all the folks used to hang out, but that night, there was no one there, and all the stores were closed. We took a break, eating some chips and drinking some soda. Afterwards, we chilled, talking and using our phones. By 9.30pm, I looked up and saw that the clouds were getting thicker. It looked as if it was about to rain. I let the guys know, but they still didn't care. So I kept on tinkering with my phone. At 10pm, lightning struck close to us, and the rain started to come down. Finally, we decided to leave. As we were making the long hike back in the dark and in the rain, suddenly a rock was thrown in front of Stephen, who was leading our group. We stopped then. He looked down to see what was thrown at him exactly. Two or three seconds after that, we heard this strange laughing sound coming from a tree right in front of Stephen to the right of us. I looked over at the trees. They had wires on them, which were there to separate the land Where sometimes my uncle's cows grazed but there were no cows there tonight i looked and saw this black bird passing right through two of the trees freaked out we were all about to bolt we went on trying to remain calm approaching my parents place when we got there i told my mom what happened and she said right away that's a witch she asked exactly where we saw it and we explained she then said some weird things happen there sometimes. We stayed there until we calmed down, but then we left to go to Steven's place. On our walk there, another rock was thrown, this time landing on a metal roof on one of the nearby houses, making a loud noise. We all started to just look at each other. We knew it was none of us. Better yet, there were no rocks around here. It was all grass rocks would have been further back where that first rock had initially been thrown. Later on, I end up back at my grandparents' house, explaining to them the night's events, and they too believed it was a witch. The following day, most of the people knew about what had happened to us, because word had spread, and nearly everyone believed it was a witch too. In fact, other people, such as Jordan's grandmother's sister, I'd also had rocks thrown at her when she was going back home one day. We grew up there, and this didn't change how we felt about our home. Even still, it was quite an eerie thing to experience. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters, murder, mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the roaring 20s. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Ozark Werewolf From Barner2424 My buddy Rick and I try to take a guy's camping trip to the Ozarks every autumn. We've been doing these trips since high school to fish, hike, and hunt. A few years back, We planned a three-day weekend camping excursion in early November. As always, we spent the week leading up packing supplies. Tents, sleeping bags, cooler, non-perishable food, rifles, ammo. We preferred camping deep in the backwoods, away from other people, because it made us feel as if we had the wilderness to ourselves. We left on a Friday morning driving several hours to reach the remote forest area we had scoped out on maps weeks before. We turned off the main roads onto narrow dirt paths, rarely traveled except by loggers. Eventually, we reached the overgrown trailhead leading to the secluded spot by a creek we aimed to camp at. We hiked through dense brush and forest for over an hour before reaching the clearing we had chosen as our campsite. The place was perfect, Flat ground to pitch the tents, fallen logs to sit on, the gentle babbling of a nearby creek in which we could fish. We quickly got to work unloading the truck and setting up camp. Soon we had a roaring fire going, and we cracked open a couple of cold ones to toast the start of our weekend. We grilled up some steaks, beans, and potatoes as the sun went down. We were feeling relaxed and optimistic about the days of solitude ahead. Just us two old friends in the wilderness making new memories. As night fell, we occasionally heard distant coyotes howling and owls hooting. But then came these cries that echoed through the darkness, which sounded unlike anything I'd ever heard before. They were like a painful wailing or screaming. Rick and I joked nervously that it must be a skinwalker coming for us clueless city boys. Little did I know, our jokes might hit a little too close to reality. The next morning, Rick and I gulped down some coffee. We geared up for a full day of hunting. The dawn in the forest was serene, mist rising off the creek nearby, and birds chirping in the trees. We hiked over a ridge, finding a spot with signs of deer activity to set up. After a couple of hours passed with no sightings, the stillness of the woods began to feel eerie. Usually, we'd have seen some squirrels, birds, or deer by now, but the forest was oddly silent, like all its inhabitants had vanished. Something feel off to you? I asked Rick. He nodded, brow furrowed. We stayed a while longer, but eventually we gave up, heading back to camp empty-handed. Along the way, we discovered strange, huge tracks on the trail that didn't look like any animal we knew. Kind of canine-like, but oddly shaped. A chill went down my spine, imagining what could have left those prints. We decided to call it an early night, anticipating better luck hunting in the morning. But sleep eluded me. I kept thinking about those weird cries we'd heard the night before, which sounded so tormented and inhuman. Sometime deep in the night, I awoke to the snuffling and crackling of something rooting around just outside my tent. I lay paralyzed, listening to heavy breaths and twigs snapping underfoot. My blood turned to ice when I glanced through the mesh window and saw two glowing eyes peering back at me from the dark. I yelled out to Rick, there's something out there. The eyes vanished as quickly as they had appeared. We sat huddled together in Rick's tent, rifles clutched tight, waiting for dawn. Both of us were shaken by the undeniable sense that we were being watched from the shadows. At daybreak, we hastily packed up camp, skipping breakfast. This spot didn't seem so idyllic anymore. Rick and I agreed we could not wait to get the heck out of these woods. The two of us hiked back out the way we'd came in, moving at a brisk pace. The sooner we were back in the safety of the truck, the better. We just had to get around a ridge, through a narrow valley, then uphill to the trailhead. Halfway through the valley, we came upon a huge fallen oak, blocking the path ahead. Odd that a healthy tree had so recently toppled. We'd stopped just a moment, seconds away from deciding to just climb over it, when we heard a snap of a branch from right behind us. We spun around, rifles raised. There, lurking between the trees, was something so bizarre. A hulking, hairy creature crouched on two legs, staring back at us. It had a wolf-like face, but stood over seven feet tall, its muscular frame covered in grayish-brown fur. A low, rumbling growl emanated from its throat. Rick and I stood frozen in shock and terror. The thing made no move to attack, but its penetrating yellow eyes watched us intently. When I finally mustered the nerve to fire a warning shot near its feet, the beast didn't even flinch. Instead, I saw it bare its fangs and take a step towards us. That's when the chaos really began. Rick tried firing too, but his gun jammed. The creature then let out a bone-chilling snarl and suddenly lunged in our direction. The two of us screamed and reeled backwards, toppling over the fallen tree. I landed hard on my back, the wind knocked out of me. Peering upside down from the ground, I glimpsed the beast's long, jagged claws and muscular hind legs as it briefly towered over us. But in the next instant, it had vanished back into the underbrush. We staggered to our feet, gasping for air, minds blank with primal panic. Without a word, Rick and I began to sprint back up the trail, driven by sheer animal instinct to survive. We didn't speak, didn't plan, only knew we had to make it out of these cursed woods before that thing came back to finish us off. We sprinted through the forest, delirious with fear. The trail seemed to stretch on forever. No matter how hard we pushed our aching legs, the parking lot never got closer. Glancing behind us, I'd catch glimpses of that hulking thing, paralleling our path, easily keeping pace with us. It would duck behind trees or into the brush, flashing in and out of view. I think it was toying with us, like a cat letting the mice think they could escape before going in for the kill. At one point, I tripped on a root and face-planted into the mud. As I staggered up, I came face to face with the beast, who had soundlessly crept up behind me. Its breath was hot, it had reeked of rotting meat. We locked eyes for a split second before it bared its fangs, snarled, and vanished again into the shadows. This told me it could have killed me at any point, if it wanted to. I don't know how, but Rick and I finally stumbled out of the woods and back to the pickup. We floored it down that dirt road like two madmen, reckless and panting, not stopping until we reached the highway. Only then did we trade horrified accounts of what we had just seen. A living nightmare we could scarcely believe. We agreed not to tell a soul what happened. Who would believe us anyway? This thing was no ordinary animal. We'd encountered something unnatural, something evil, in that forest. Neither of us had ever been more terrified or felt so powerless. In the months after, I scoured the internet looking for clues about what we saw. Some cryptid forums suggest it could have been a dogman, or a wolf-like creature they call the Ozark Howler. All I know for sure is we stumbled into the hunting grounds of a monster one that's likely still roaming the remote wilderness of the Ozarks. No one will ever convince me otherwise. I'll never set foot in those godforsaken woods again. Thank you for stopping by at our little campsite here at Camping Horrors. To hear your story on the show, send it to us for narration at darkstories.org. For more narrations from me, You can catch me on my other podcasts, Unexplained Encounters, and Tales from the Break Room on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Or you can go to EerieCast.com for those and even more terrifying podcasts. Follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at Dark Prevails, and be sure to leave Camping Horrors a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now then. I'll see you soon when the campfire blazes once again.